Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, welcome into the Autzen Audible's podcast live stream edition all three of us are on the show i'm matt Prem, eric scopel and jared mack uh, joining us uh kudos to you guys everything is intact everything is here we're we're good uh first time in about a week all three of us have been on the show i've been on vacation so um that's why i was gone i do not have a sleeve tattoo uh what? quite the uh matt. allegedly allegedly <laughs> allegedly how dare you lie to these people? <laughs> Don't misinform them. Uh, I was telling Jared at the basketball game yesterday, Eric, that I was really close to going on Amazon and buying those like sleeves. Oh, you, you should have done that. Arms. You should have done that. And just been like, hey, here it is. <laughs> you should have done that. It would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the desert, come back with a uh, uh, huge sleeve. But uh, on, on today's show, uh, it's – we're going to go basketball. Um, th- both the men and the women are taking interesting turns to their seasons. One's going up, one's going down. Um, and it's probably not the team that you expect. Uh, and then on the back end of the show, we'll also talk uh, some football. We'll answer your guys' questions um, as well. Uh, Eric, let, let's start with the women. I, I think are you this sure? is the more su- – Yes, this is the more surprising of the two, I think. Because going in like a month ago, they were a top 25 team. They were playing for an opportunity to host the regionals. Mm-hmm. And now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but if they're not careful, they may play their way out of the tournament. No, I don't need to connect, correct you at all because that's right. Uh, you know, they, they, it's been a weird turn here because you're right in terms of the two ships kind of passing each other in the night. That while the women's team has completely kind of gone on the decline, the men's team is on the incline, which is why I thought we'd want to start with the good stuff. But we'll start with some of the less good stuff. The, the women are, are in a really tough place right now from a lot of perspectives, but I guess just yeah. I, I was trying to think of where to go. Hard with to that think of just I was, one, right? I was, I was kind of like, well, the, the in the conference, they're five and seven, so they're in eighth place, which is by, I mean, this is the first time that a Kelly Graves coached Oregon team has been below 500 in the Pac-12 since Sabrina's first year. Um, yeah. So this is new chart, uncharted waters for them in that regard. And then in terms of the NCAA tournament, yeah, they've made it every year since Sabrina's fr- freshman year. And I, I think things are kind of dire right now. They've only won 14 games. Um, you know, they've got opportunities undoubtedly down the stretch here to, to get in. I mean, they're 19th in the net right now. So you're not talking about a team that, uh, you know, is struggling from the computer perspective, but it's hard to ignore the fact that they are five and seven in conference play. They've lost eight of 12 games. They've lost three in a row. Um, you know, haven't been blown out really all season. They've been competitive in basically every single game. Like they've had opportunities every fourth quarter that they've lost to, to maybe pick up a victory, but end of the day, they haven't won games and, and you look up and you go, they're four and or sorry, 14 and nine, I believe right now um, going into the kind of the closing stretch of the season. And yeah, as Kelly Graves said on, on, on Wednesday, when we interviewed him, they've got six games in conference to go and they probably need to win at least three of those games to avoid be, being a situation where you, you have your, you know, you're, you're playing for your tournament life in the conference tournament in Las Vegas. So um Certainly a path there. They're currently in the field uh, as a nine seed by according to Charlie Krem, who's the uh, ESPN women's bracket expert. So, you know, it's not like they're out of the field right now, but they are also in a spot where they certainly have wins to do. You're not going to put a team in with 14 wins in the NCAA tournament. So they have to win games and they have to win. I think I, I, I agree with Kelly. I think he's right. I think if they were to win 
three or four of these final six and, and let's say get a win down in Las Vegas, you'd probably be in the field fairly comfortably, but only as a seven or eight seed. For them to be anything better than that, they basically need to run the table. They've got good games in front of them on the schedule, but these are also games that like based on how they're playing, I don't think you expect that you don't there's no anticipation like, oh, this is a this is a for sure win. Like every game on the schedule, with the exception of senior day against Arizona State, you go, gosh, that could that could go the other way. Yeah, they've just to me they've been wildly inconsistent. I feel like the only person you can really rely on to get you any shade of anything is India Rogers, and you know she can only do so much. And uh, she has had some just tremendous performances over the season, um, most of them resulting in wins. But some of them, even though like she just comes up a little bit short, um, they just need somebody uh, along with I guess Grace Van Sluten to be a consistent sixteen to twenty point scorer or at least even like 14 to 18. It's tough to rely on Tina Pow Pow to really get you anything more than 14 points in the well, recent that, stretch of games. That, that's that's the issue is she's been Right, she can't awful. shoot. Terrible, yeah. She's she's regressed a, a lot in the last well, couple of weeks. Can we get can we get into this? This is sorry, Jared, I want Yeah, we can get Yeah, I, I this is one of my main points I was going to bring up because she's not helping. And I don't want to sound overly critical here but when you have these high of expectations with a program that you know with sabrina was a final four and national title contender these should be the expectations of your program and then people and and the team itself has have, have fallen short a lot of the time so this is where it gets weird is on sunday james crepe the oregonian asked kelly graves about pow pow is there something physically wrong and he said no it's not physical it's mental it's a slump and then 24 hours later James went up to Portland for a WW, sorry, WNBA expansion uh, meeting with the WNBA commissioner. Representatives from Oregon and Oregon State were there. Former WNBA players were there. All sorts of people. And he talked to Kelly there. And on the record, Kelly then said that she is dealing with an injury. And she isn't physically right, but she's getting it out. And a lot of credit to her for doing so. So I don't really know because in a 24-hour span, I'll just, I guess, choose to believe that there was an injury that maybe he wasn't comfortable disclosing on Sunday that he talked to Tahina and felt more comfortable disclosing on Monday. But it is a weird deal where, I mean, I was talking to James about this kind of going like, wait, I thought, like, how did this happen? Because I chat with him on, on Wednesday, like right. a couple of days ago, he, he said she was fully healthy. And this was this was kind of more of a mental obstacle than a physical one. If it's a physical one, it, it I think opens a little bit more sympathy for not that there isn't sympathy for a player who's maybe having a hard time mentally and kind of in a slump, but there is more for one. If like, let's say she has a nagging knee injury she's playing through. And I remember yeah, she course. has a history, a history with these knee problems. And that was part of the reason she wasn't, you know, a consensus five-star recruit coming out of high school because uh, her sophomore and junior seasons were lost to ACL injuries. So part of me wonders like if she's having right. knee problems here, like, this just might be something you can't really avoid, and I maybe maybe we can be a little bit less harsh on her if that's actually the case. Because statistically, over these last six games, it's been dreadful. I mean, you look at her field goal percentage; it's below twenty percent for about the last th two or three weekends in a row now. And Oregon's losing games in part because they can't get anything offensively from her. So, um, you know, I she, she hasn't made more than two field goals in a game in, in three games. Yeah, and it's it's, it's been she's bad. only made one three in three games. Mm -hmm. And I just looked at it right now because, like, I knew she was in a slump, but I didn't realize it was this bad. This is the first time she's ever had three straight games without scoring double digits. Like, yep. the only time it, ha it happened once with two last year, and it happened a couple times of two in a row uh, as a freshman. But she's there's definitely something off with her game, and it's it's impacting her. I mean, we were, I was talking with James actually last night uh, as we were leaving the arena from the men's game. And I, I mentioned to her, to, to James, that it, it feels like from afar, maybe you, you guys have covered more of these games than I have. Yeah. Uh, but it seems like from afar, like too many players have been asked to play above their expected role at the beginning of the year. And then maybe they're hitting that wall where it's just, it, too much is being asked of them night in, night out, and it's unfair to ask those players to continue doing this, and that's why we're seeing the slump. Like, I I, re I referenced uh, Filipina Che. Like, she's not supposed to be an offensive threat. She's not supposed to be someone that's playing more than 15 minutes a game this season, and she's having to play 30 it, it because they don't have a, another low-post option. There's a lot of issues with the way the roster was constructed, and, again, this is where, you know, I, I probably – shielded Kelly from some criticism in the past, but this is one where I think he's opened it 
for himself. And I know there's been some bad luck, but they started the season with 11 scholarship players. Two of those players are no longer on the roster. You're playing with nine. Yep. Any holes you have are going to be uh, much Massive. more egregious, yeah. much more obvious when you have so few players to, to kind of handle things with. And that's where they're at right now of, you're right, Jared, like India Rogers is the only reliable offensive player. And she's even had a couple of games where it hasn't been right. I don't know how right. much. And that makes it, that makes it even worse because that's the only person you can rely on right now. So if she's and, off then you're, you're done. Well, and, and then the other part is, is then, so your secondary options are supposed to be pow pow and Van Sluten. And if pow pow is dealing with an injury or is just unreliable for whatever reason, that makes it difficult. And then Van Sluten's a true freshman and she's proven to be anything but matchup prone. There are certain front court combinations that may have made it very difficult to, for her to score. And you look at the stats this season, it's kind of, you know, you talk about inconsistency. I think she's kind of been, maybe the one that you look at just from a stats perspective and go like, yeah, it, it's pretty clear there because she'll have yeah. a couple of games where she scores 18 to 22 points on like really good shooting. And then she'll have a couple of games where she scores six points on like three of 12 shooting. So, I mean, I don't know how far into the weeds we want to go on women's basketball because I know every time we talk about it in the comments, I hear no one cares about women's basketball, but numbers I see on traffic from my stories suggest the opposite is true. And the same thing from attendance, but um, I know on podcasts that apparently women's basketball hasn't been a popular subject, so I don't want to shoot down an entire topic, but I could go for a long time into why I think some of these issues are there, but I want to be respectful for the time for those listener listening if they're, if they're just not interested in this, and we can maybe talk about men's basketball or football if that's of more interest. I, 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 don't, yeah. I don't know what the answer is, but I'm just, just trying to be – we've talked 10 minutes in this, and we're going to go for 40. I don't know if you want to go. I could talk for an hour if we wanted to on some of the issues, but I don't know if you want uh, to. I was just going to bring up real quick before we, we transition to the men here is yeah. just like where's the confidence level with this team? Because like you said, they have six games left. Four of them are on the road, mm -hmm. and – yeah. We've said this before on the podcast. We've said it also off record. Like the league is just drastically better than what it was four years ago. And so you're not going to get these games where you're going to win by 25 and you're going to be able to rest your starters, you know, every other game. Um, what's the optimism that this team even gets to the tournament right now? Charlie Crean has the women as a nine seed. Um, Yep. In his updated bracketology, which came out today for ESPN, um, doesn't look like they're on the bubble. Doesn't look like you know they're close. But if you're a nine seed, and it, that indicates that if things don't get turned around quickly, like you could be on the bubble on Selection Sunday. Well, again, and this is this is the point Kelly's made. The point I made earlier of they have a very clear path to making the tournament because what's in front of them is, is very challenging. And you look at the schedule and you mentioned six games, four on the road, four of those are against teams that are in the top 50 in the net. Those are all quad one caliber wins. Uh, Washington is knocking on the doorstep as another team. They just knocked off Stanford last weekend. Uh, Washington is, is in the sixties. So th there's another, that's another game where it's at least a or mm -hmm. 70, I guess that's a respectable opponent. Arizona state's not good. That, that isn't going to impact things, but, that's a very winnable game. Of you the, win. Yeah, it's a game. That game you have to win. I think you have to win the Washington game. So, like, put those yep. aside. Those are you have to have those two as wins. If you lose the Washington win, that change that changes the whole thing here. But of those other four games, I think you have to win at least two. And that means you have to win two of the USC, UCLA, Washington State, Arizona games. If you can do that, I think you give yourself a decent chance. Assuming you win those other games, if you finish, at, that would put you at nine and nine in Pac-12 play. That would put you at 18 and 12 going into the conference tournament or 18, 11, sorry, going into the conference tournament. I think that's, I think that would be enough. And you'd probably be an eight or a nine seed, depending upon the combination of schools you beat. Um, the issue is that they could easily lose every game on this road trip. I mean, they are, they are slumping right now. USC used to their opponents. These are top mm -hmm. 30 teams in the net. Uh, USC is a team they beat by 28 in January. That feels good. But then you realize their leading scorer missed that game. And you realize that, hey, it's been a long time. And since that game took place, USC's won a bunch of games. They beat Stanford as well. And Oregon's lost a lot of games. So, I mean, we'll see. I, I don't know. I, 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 I probably – I think it's kind of a coin flip right now for me just because you haven't seen enough consistent winning to see them go win these games over really good teams. At the same time, they haven't been outclassed once, I don't think, really all season, um, with the exception of maybe the Ohio State game. Um, Ohio State, which is a top yeah. 10 team. So, I mean, I think there's reason to be optimistic they can do it, but I think there's also a ton of reasons, and we can get into, you know, if you read our stories on duckterritory.com, you can get into more of the, the weeds of why. It's not going to be easy, though. 
no, it certainly won't be easy. And yeah, it's a good thing that they haven't been just you know outclassed or outperformed for a lot of these losses. But at the end of the day, like they're still they're still losing, and and the way they're losing is is another uh, big differentiator. Like you know they'll be up by ten or twelve, and then in the fourth quarter they'll they'll lose that game on on a near buzzer beater or overtime or the the very opposite where they're down ten or twelve and they come back and they show and they come back in a storm and showcase how they can be a team that's that's a, a threat on the offensive end and then fall short at the, by the buzzer, fall short in overtime, whatever the case may be. Um, it's just an encapsulation. I feel like a lot of their games are encapsulations of the season where it's a, you know, it's a, it's a good start or it's just an up and down and the entire, you know, each quarter is, is a good one or a bad one followed by a good or a bad one. It just, um, uh, the team itself, like I started off by saying, it's unbelievably inconsistent. And, you know, that really hurts in, in college basketball. That hurts at any professional level as well. Um, yeah, it's just, I, Eric, I saw you, or somebody blocked that comment. Thank you for blocking that comment. I mean, I'm not going to discuss it on the air. Um, but yeah, I mean, cautiously optimistic. Sure. It's just, you know, I'm maybe I'm not the most optimistic person in the world, but there's not a, there's not a whole lot to go off of there. That makes you feel like, yeah, four out of six on the road. That's doable for sure. No, no questions asked there. Um, it's just going to be, it's going to be a struggle. And I will go back to a point I made maybe even preseason or like first two weeks of the season where I talked about how nine scholarship players is just not enough. It's still just not enough. It's it's costing them at this stage. And the minutes that they have to put on Tahina and the minutes they have to put on Rogers, um, like Matt mentioned, Filipina Che, um, it's, it's going to be tough to finish the season out fresh. And I think you're seeing a lot of that right now during – I don't know, like like what it is the dog days in August for baseball. It's kind of like the February stretch in college basketball. If that makes any sense. Do you want to talk men's basketball with Matt not here? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's I kind got... of a weird deal. Matt, Matt, Matt is dealing with um, some house. Uh, will be the Issues. right. Well, I, like they're, they're, he's, some. He's they're, they're, they're doing uh, an overhaul in some of the. Uh, housing stuff. There was a, yeah, it was a leak, yeah. you know, in the house. Not a good thing. A pipe burst. Uh, it's got a bunch so of fans. Might, in this house no longer be, there. Yeah, he 10 might to be 15 gone minutes. So yeah. you guys who are listening or watching have to listen to Eric and I for the third time this week. I feel sorry Gosh. for everybody. Um, yeah. So let's let's do men's basketball, and then there's some comments here that we could talk about with expansion and stuff that is kind of interesting. Oh, here's Matt. Thank you, Matt. You need to be Back the one again. Talking men's basketball without you would have felt really strange. We're about to start. So go. go. So yeah, I, I actually heard everything that you guys were talking about. Uh, okay, so you're kind of. Um, uh oh. But yes, let's yeah. let's transition to the men's side. Um, this is great podcasting, by the way. Uh, Oregon is. has <laughs> always is. Uh, Oregon has won six of their last eight, seven of their last ten for the men, and a a season that felt like it was going to be going the same way it went last year not making the tournament is back on, on track. They're not all the way back yet. 15 and 10 overall, nine and five in conference play, but they're currently tied with Utah uh, it, for fourth place in the Pac-12 standings. They have the tiebreaker against the Utes. They are half a game back behind USC in third place, and they have a tiebreaker with USC there as well. So everything is on the table for Oregon. I, I as crazy as it sounds, there is still a legitimate path that Oregon can win the league. They split with Arizona. They have a UCLA date on Saturday that if they split that, they get within a game and a half of, of the first place Bruins. And UCLA still has to play at Utah, at Colorado, Arizona State, and Arizona. Good possibility they drop one or two of those games. Now, it's going to require you know near perfection for Oregon and a couple things going their way, but a month ago we weren't even having this conversation. A month ago, it, it was legitimately well amongst the fan base: should Dana Altman retire? Like, like that's as crazy as it as it sounds. And yet here we are, uh, going into Saturday's game against number seven UCLA, maybe the biggest game the Ducks have had this year. Um, and it's quite interesting how they've kind of gotten here. Um, They've gotten some good wins. Uh, Arizona at home was a massive win. USC for Thursday night was a massive win. 
Uh, they got a good win at home against Utah. They blew out Colorado after getting them uh, getting dropped there earlier. They dropped the game at Arizona. They have the bad loss at Stanford when they lost by seven there. But for the first time in a long time, it feels like there's some optimism with this team. There's some growth with this team. I thought they looked – Jared and I were at the game last night. I thought they looked tremendous in, in that one. It, it was a little bit of a slow start, but they straight up kicked US, USC's butt, and they had no answer uh, for Oregon inside as Dante dominated, Biddle had his moments, Ware had his moments, and when they weren't scoring in the paint, they were getting to the free throw line for 16 of 18. Um, you just kind of look at the stats of this team, and things are starting to improve. And I think for the first time in a long time, you've got some optimism that, you know, this team is is going in the right direction. But like Jared has said a couple times on the show, and maybe this is just a kickway to him, like tomorrow night will be a prove-it night for, for everybody. And if mm-hmm. this team is a tournament team, they've got to win tomorrow night against a UCLA team in an arena that, that could potentially be sold out. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, USC was not the best defensive team in the Pac-12, and that was pretty, you know, that was showcased last night. Um, but like Matt said, it was in good old-fashioned ass-kicking. Um, started slow, but, yeah, Oregon just dominated on the interior. Nafale Dante had a clear size and strength advantage over Vincent Uwachukwu, who I am, you know, a big fan of. Uh, he just got absolutely dominated last night. It's, it's just a freshman versus a senior at this point. Um and for Oregon, like I said, many weeks ago, there was going to be a stretch where it was going to be hard to implement everybody back into the rotation after only having really eight guys who could play, and with including Brennan Rigsby and Luke Wer. Um, but it's back. You know, they had that loss to Stanford. Uh, you lose to Arizona on the road. But again, I didn't think they played poorly at Arizona. They just ran into a zealous, uh, you know, Tabellis for Azulas, excuse me. Tabellis that should be his nickname. It should be. Zealous to Bellas is good. Azulas, excuse me, Azulas, A-Z-O-U-L-A-S. I got it. Um, he's he's just an animal. I mean, he's probably the Pac-12 player of the year. He had an unbelievable night. I think he was 40 or 42 points. You, you know, can't really do anything about that. I still think Arizona is the, the, cream, of the cream that rises to the top in the Pac-12. But like Matt said, you know, 7 of 10 is really impressive. Um, this is a team that really didn't have a trajectory. I don't know what it was for a long portion of the season. It was it, like the women's team now, unbelievably inconsistent. You had good nights from Will Richardson. You had poor nights from Will Richardson. You had maybe a good night from some random role player like Quincy Gurrier. Um, but a lot of the times you just did it. And now that they have all 11 guys back in action and are capable of playing, they've got enough practice time, got enough game time to the point where they start to feel comfortable with each other on the floor and things just kind of are, are gelling now on both sides. Uh, I wrote about this last night, I guess, you know, early in the morning, if you live on the East Coast. Um, I was impressed with their defense overall. It started to look a little bit similar to what a Dana Altman team should look like on the defensive end. Uh, USC, uh, other than Boogie Ellis, uh, didn't do anything. Drew Peterson was held to nine points, I think just three of eight, three of nine shooting from the floor. Um, what Oregon did was not allow USC to drive into the paint. And because of that, because of their perimeter defense with Kuznar and Bartholomew and even a good job from Richardson, who doesn't always give his best efforts on defense, they've all bought in and they're all proving it on the court. Um, that's a really hard USC team to stop defensively. Oregon did it. Obviously, USC was out two of their, without two of their guards last night, so that doesn't really help them. It helps Oregon. Uh, but those excuses didn't matter. Even if those guys played, I'm not exactly sure that USC would make it any closer. And Oregon just kicked ass for two hours straight. Um, so it was, it was a good performance. Needs to come again on, on Saturday, right? Saturday, yeah. yeah. Needs to come again at Saturday at 7 p.m. Um, UCLA is – Oregon was completely out physical the last time they played at, at, uh, at the Poly Pavilion. Um, they need to bring the same physicality they had last night into Saturday. And then it's just going to be about shot making and shot creation, and we'll see what Oregon does from there. The the UCLA game down there, I, I think if you're Oregon, you got to feel confident because it was an early December game. You were limited with players, and they led that game for like 18 or 19 minutes. Um, there was a good stretch of time where it was tied, and then the second half second half is when UCLA pulled away. 
mm-hmm. and it wasn't back and forth in that first half. Oregon trailed, I think, 6-0 in the first minute or two, but then basically went almost wire to wire in the first half with a good solid lead. Um, and then, it, like Jared said, UCLA turned up the defense. Uh, Dante did not handle the double teams well. He had five turnovers. He battled foul trouble in the first half um, in that game. I remember Dana Altman post game, you know, saying like they just they need more from 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 Dante. And he said that last night after the win at USC ahead of the UCLA game, he just needs to be able to provide more for his team. But if you're Oregon, I think you go into this and there's. There's some optimism that you match up well. You you have the talent to compete with them, and you can win this game because it was on the road, and, and in the final five minutes of the game, you still had a chance uh, to knock off the Bruins. It, I, I'm real curious just to see, A, the level of intensity Oregon plays with, the consistency that they play with, um, and maybe even a bigger factor of just what the environment looks like Saturday night, because Jared, for the first time all year, I felt like Thursday night's game felt like a basketball game, like good crowd, good environment. Oregon was playing well. And we haven't seen that combination really all season, maybe the Arizona game in parts, but it, it, it's been lacking and it's February 10th. And yet it feels like finally now basketball season has started for at least on the men's side. Can I, can I ask a question? Go yeah. for it. So I'm looking at their schedule here. It is so easy after UCLA. Yes. Yes. So I'm 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 wondering aloud here, and, and I'm curious on your take on this, Matt and Jared. Let's just say it doesn't come together tomorrow, and they lose to UCLA hypothetically. I think it's very winnable as well. After that, it's five games against teams that are all below uh, 80 in the net. All besides Washington have a losing record on the season. Um, Cal is 300th in the net ranking, which is, I think, like the lowest I've ever – they're 3 and 21. It's like the lowest net ranking I've ever seen from a Power 5 school. Like, it's incredible that, that they're – I mean, being in the 200s is rare for they're a, a Power 5 team, but 300 is really low. So Oregon finishes at Washington, Washington State, at Corvallis, and then hosts the Cal and Stanford schools to close after tomorrow's game with UCLA. If they were to win all five, and you've got this six out of eight going right now, they would have been 11 out of 14 to finish the regular season. Is that enough? Like if they get to, cause that's also 20 wins on the season. Is yeah. that enough or where is the computer? Are you concerned enough the for the tournament? Yeah. Because if you, if you, oh. if we, you don't think so. Say, no, yeah. If they win 11 of 14 to finish the season, they win the rest or after that, UCLA that, lost, that, they win. Yeah. 100%. That was going to be my argument is like, it seems to me like the UCLA feels like a must win and it would certainly boost it and like, probably put them in the field but if yeah if they get really hot here and just finish off the regular season again against five bad teams like yeah. i don't think it's crazy that they could lose to ucla and still get in am i am i wrong on that no yeah they, i mean if, go ahead i was just gonna say yeah if they lose to ucla and they win you know the final five games of the season yeah they're in 100 i mean they've they needed this finish basically exactly and they've they've done it um it would be really impressive if they finished like that 11 of 14, like you said, Eric. Uh, and then you still go into the conference tournament with a chance to line up against somebody who's maybe not as good, but as, as a top seed, as a top three seed, potentially. Um, there you go. And there, so that's another game you add to the, add to your record. That's another game you add to your net rating. That's another game you add to your Ken Palm rating. I think Oregon is 43rd right now in Ken Palm, which is a lot better than where they were earlier in the season. They're, um, uh, they're 50th in the net, by the way. I just, 50th yes. in the net. Yeah, I, I if they go through and win five of their next six, losing only to UCLA, who's a top ten team in the country, yeah, I think they're in. And we we would be talking about like a team that's like a 10, 10 seed. Right. Because like, right now they, they're four and six with quad ones. And there's a couple games that are gonna be fluctuating that if you're an Oregon fan, you're you have to root for Arizona State to continue to win. Uh, you have to root for Colorado to continue to win because uh, you need the win at ASU to look to look good. You need mm-hmm. the loss at Colorado, even if it was as bad as it was, to not turn into a quad two loss, which is very close to doing. Uh, Colorado is currently 68th in the net. Uh, it's a 75 or better in the net rankings for a quad one. Um, and then you also are rooting for Nevada because that was a home win early in the season. On December 10th, uh, Oregon kind of kicked their butts 
and Nevada is fluctuating quite a bit between a quad two and a quad one. And I know this that's not really the best topics, but Nevada's 30th in the in the net rankings, and one through 30 is the threshold for a quad one game. So if you're Oregon, you are big Nevada fans this week or this season because you need them to finish. You need them to win out essentially before the pack before the Mountain West Conference tournament uh, and stay in that top thirty range to give you that quad one game. And then the UCLA game tomorrow. If if you can, if you're Oregon and you can say you've got two top ten wins against net opponents at even if they're at home, UCLA and Arizona, that's huge for for your seeding purposes. And to Eric's question, like if they beat UCLA and they win out, like. Now we're talking about a team that maybe is going into Vegas as an eight seed or a seven seed with the opportunity to maybe bump up one or two lines into the field uh, where you maybe have a good chance at, at winning a game and maybe even getting a good matchup to p- possibly even get it to the second weekend, which is just crazy to think about from where this team was at um, a month ago. But it all boils down to you know a lot of what happens tomorrow night. I, I, I think to Eric's question, like if they lost to UCLA and then won out, it would be a nervous week uh, in Vegas and uh, on Selection Sunday. Sunday. Even though you feel like you're in, like you you, it would feel it wouldn't feel as nearly as confident um, as if they they beat UCLA, but maybe they lost at Washington state or something like that um, on, on the road. Like if you lose to Cal, you're, you, you're not in. If you lose to Oregon state on the road, yes. you're not in. Uh, if you lose to Stanford at home, you're not in. Um, you, you have to win your tournament. Uh, those are the three games you absolutely have to win. I, you could probably sell me on losing at Washington state or at Washington, mm-hmm. as long as you beat UCLA. But it would put you kind of back into a similar situation of losing at home to UCLA and winning out where on Sunday, you're kind of like, I think we're in, we should be in, but every once in a while, there's that one team where it's like, Oh, well, they're not in the tournament. And that could be you. Well, the other thing is you're relying upon this team to take care of business against the five lesser teams, which that's been where they've stumbled kind of this. I mean, not, not against this caliber all the time, but the Stanford loss struck me as one of those, Hey, we just beat Arizona. Because the Arizona game win was right before that, I think the weekend before, yep. and then yep. oh, we go on the road, Stanford. Oh, they hadn't won a conference game until they beat Oregon State a couple of days before, and then they knock you off, and it's not a very competitive game. So I guess that's where I'd also get nervous. But I mean, you look at the two situations. Not that we have to go too much compare and contrast between the men's and the women's, but very different situations where the women are kind of in the field, but they have a really tough schedule and have to kind of win some games to maintain their position. Whereas the men's team. They're not in the tournament, but gosh, they have this huge runway in front of them. Because again, I look at those yeah. five games to end the season after at UCLA and go like, those are that's about as good as you could. If like if Dana was was scripting a season and, and schedule, I think he'd feel really good about kind of how this closes for him because that's a very very winnable final five games. Yeah. Well, just think about like maybe we can end it here, and this is my half glass full approach to it. But like if they beat UCLA. And then those final five, they win. You're going into Vegas with an eight-game winning streak, 10 of the last 11 that you've won, and 12 of the last 13 that you've won. If they even win just two games, if they, if they could get to like the Pac-12 championship game uh, on, on that Saturday night, even if they lose, they go into the tournament as one of the you know hotter teams in college basketball, having won 13 or 14 games in their last 15. Like it, it's just a total complete turn of, of, of the season. And it would be really weird to look at just the first half and the second half of how this team plays out. And you know, that's kind of why I I don't get too hot or hot or too low with, with basketball, like in November or December, and like, oh, this team sucks. Like it's just such a long season that like we've seen with both teams, like it, yep. it can fluctuate up and down. Don't write off Dana Altman in February, though. That's that's something we should we we, we kind of need to recognize. I think we could have yeah. just had that entire segment by saying that. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll join 
into the comment sections here and discuss some some topics uh, after the break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome back to the Yachts and Notables podcast. Uh I'm unfortunately sad that uh, Dr. Quacks, uh, I'm disappointed by the tattoo news, had my money on being an arm slap sleeve tattoo of a dog leg hole from a famous golf course. Oh. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I, I had no idea I even presented the idea of being like a tattoo person. This just blows my mind. Well, so here's what happened on last week's – by the way, he just gave you a great idea for your arm sleeve tattoo, which I know right. you're going to go out and get. I know you're going to go devote a bunch of money to it. Uh no, the reason it came up is because, like, what was it? Last Friday, we did a live stream, and one of the questions was, do you guys have tattoos or plans to get duck tattoos? And Jared and I both uh, put on a brave face and said, we didn't have one, but, boy, you should check out Matt's arm tattoo. Um, and people were shocked. I don't think people expected that news either, uh, and they were shocked for good reason because uh, it happened to be fake. <laughs> it's not true. Not true. Not a real thing, uh, sadly. Let, let's go here because this seems to be a hot topic right now um not necessarily just how smu fits as being a religious school but just pac-12 expansion in general right now from rick olson he brings it up um smu is the hot name a lot of national outlets uh west coast outlets i think john canzano john wilner um have both reported on it there's been like a photo of george klavkoff pac-12's commissioner at a basketball game at smu um with what looked like athletic director uh, at SMU and other officials for the school. Um, are you guys at all like peaked interested? Does it move the needle at all with the addition of SMU possibly to the PAC 12? Not from an on-field perspective at all. Um, and again, I, I think the funny thing is, is we, <laughs> the things that seem to matter to TV company or TV, uh, you know, communication companies like Fox or ESPN, uh, when you're talking about negotiating these me media deals are things that really don't matter that much to most of the fans. Cause uh, the, re the reason you'd add SMU is not for on field perspective uh, at all. It would be because of the TV market you'd be putting yourself in. And I also don't really know, I haven't done the research on this, this is probably my bad for trying to comment in on it without doing so, but I don't know what SMU's like how much of a pull they have even in that market and like does that really help you that much I, I i don't know but that's the reason their name has been floated it's the reason san diego state has been floated these are san diego state's had a very they've been a, that's a that's been a quality program in the mountain west so like i understand that a little bit more and, and you look at hey oregon i should say the pac-12 had success with utah who was a mountain west program that they brought up and now suddenly utah is winning Executive conference championships is, and is clearly mm -hmm. one of the big dogs in the conference. I wouldn't sleep on San Diego State being a, a program that down the line, six to eight years like it took Utah, could could get there. Utah was a little bit more celebrated than San Diego State. But that's San Diego State's being mentioned like SMU because of that Southern California television market. So that's why that's why these names are being brought up. It's also why, like, do I have a lot of interest in watching SMU or San Diego State football? Probably not. Like, I'll be honest, I don't think I've watched either of those programs play unless they're playing teams on Oregon's schedule. Like, I know I watched San Diego State, what was it, last year? I think they played I think they played Utah. I think they played and might have beaten Utah. Is that right? I know they played Arizona. I'm trying to think, but th th there was some comment. Yeah, I can't comment. remember. So I saw them play a little bit. But, like, 
yeah, no, I'm like in general, like, no, I'm not super intrigued by San Diego State or SMU as, as teams to add from an on-field competition perspective, but you'd find TV markets and that's clearly the root of all of this. And like, so like, am I excited by it? Not particularly, but I am understanding of why those would be targets. Well, as we all know, this comes down to money as it should, because everybody's just trying to make the most amount of money here. And the PAC 12 is floundering. Uh, you know, a lot of reports coming out from Stuart Mandel about how the PAC 12 has overvalued itself and is suddenly not going to get the same amount of money allocated to the schools that it so desired, whether it be from Amazon, whether it be from ESPN or some larger network like that. Uh, Southern Methodist provides a bigger fan base, provides a bigger TV audience. That's a great part of the deal. Uh, Southern Methodist and, and uh, Texas Christian, TCU, those guys control the Dallas area for college football. Then you still have Texas, you still have Baylor, blah, blah, blah. And Tech, don't forget about Texas Tech because Oregon's playing them next year. Um, does it interest me? Sure. Why not? You, you need to add teams. In 2024, it's going to be a 10-team league. You can't go into it with 10 teams. You're just right. a, a complete lack of a conference if you have 10 teams compared to the Big 12 with 16 and the Big 10 with 16 or 18 and the SEC with 16 or 18 when Oklahoma and Texas joined. Um, that's, it, there's just a, such a huge discrepancy between the conferences. And even though Oregon is uh, would be the brand value of the group and Washington would be as long as they're still here, it's a big difference. And there's one thing about being Clemson of the Pac-12, which is a great thing where you can go and, and become a conference champion. The difference is, is being a conference champion like Clemson and then going out and performing and competing on the college football playoff stage and winning national championships, which Oregon is, is trending towards. They're trying to do it. They've been trying to do it for as long as they've been a program. Um, with Clemson, they just went out and did it. They were 12-0 and 0 conference champions. I, I fear that Oregon could, could be a Clemson of the Pac-12, but be 9-3, and 10-2 conference champions where there's a big difference between that. Oregon would really need to step up their out-of-conference schedules if the Pac-12 were to go to 10 teams and stay at 10 teams. Um, I just don't look at any of this as good news. I, I really don't, from, from my perspective. I think it's it's not great that George Klyakov is now making very public appearances with athletic directors in front of the scenes and not behind the scenes about potential expansion. Yeah, like that was the thing. I That was like the biggest shock to me was – he would put. He would even put himself in a position to be seen. Like it, he obviously is not out there making wanting to make it. No, maybe he is. Maybe that was the whole point of of being there. But I would I, imagine I it like, was. Don't you think? I mean, you think, there's no you other point of being there. Like these guys don't just meet up for for funsies unless unless they do. Maybe they do, but I doubt it. And plus, this has been reported for weeks beforehand about oh, SMU might be a team to look for for the Pac-12. Well, and I just shit, think like the big the big moves, though, like that, that really change and, and work well for whatever conference are like Oklahoma and, and Texas when it was just like, oh, shit, they're gone. Like they USC, met in right. secret. USC, USC, UCLA. And UCLA. Yeah. Like they met in secret. They got all things yep. detailed, ironed out. And then the next day when it gets done, boom, it gets released. It gets leaked, what have you. Like to Jared's point, like this is a sign it's not going well where they're trying to prop it up in a positive manner by him being visible and being seen looking out on the road and, and checking out these schools and, and whatnot. Um, it, it's just weird to me. Um, I, I am much more open to the idea of San Diego state joining the conference than I am of SMU. There's like, I can't even think of one school in the current PAC 12 that has like any kind of, connection or past history with SMU like it SMU academically has a huge endowment it's a big it's a big school it's it's got a good reputation academically uh it's in a big metro in the Dallas area obviously that's that that's huge but there's just no connection whatsoever at all regionally or on the field athletically with the rest of the conference it just makes it feel like it's just kind of forced which Kind of felt well, like Utah, Colorado, but I don't know. There's no need for them to have a connection on the field. They're just in it for the TV market. Well, it's, just, it's just numerical values. It's money. And to be clear, Utah, Colorado were proactive additions when the league was was on fairly even footing with a lot of these conferences. The circumstances right. are very different. These are, these are 
reactive actions trying to add these schools. These are reactions yeah, as to Jared's 100%. point of you'd be at 10 member schools, you get to 12, which at least puts you even with what the big 12 becomes after they add their four in 2024. So at least you have the same number of schools, the same number of splits. You have somewhat comparable television markets. Big 12 is probably, if we're being honest, outmaneuvered the Pac-12 in a lot of ways and how this has gone oh, down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah. I think you're just kind of trying to keep keep up right now. And, and that's why this isn't look great. And to the point about like it not being public and all that stuff, that really doesn't bother me that much because the USC UCLA and the Oklahoma Texas things, there were sure. reasons for those things to be kept secret, right? Because those were both moves um, that were, well, especially the USC UCLA one I can point to, like there was a reason that that timeline of when they, when they made the move, because it was the last day to make the move without having to pay, what was it? A hundred million dollars to the conference for leaving yeah. um, outside of the terms of the agreement. So like there was a reason that one was done in, in you know as a hush as opposed to this current current editions smu and and san diego state like the pac-12 wouldn't really have to compete with the mountain west like there wouldn't be as much recourse in terms of adding those teams so i understand why that's being done publicly i don't really have an issue with it i just think at the end of the day like it's very i think what we know now is very clearly where their their focus is their focus is on those two schools there's been a lot of attention with smu and it's very clear that is that is the path that are going Right, because when this first happened, there was all of this noise and uncertainty, all of these different things. And as what happens with these big stories, as time goes by, it becomes more and more clear where the direction is headed. And I think it's pretty clear that they're going to try to add these two schools, probably do it pretty soon, because they're in. I think they uh, need to. Yeah. Club has set an April something date for trying to get the the medium uh, the new media deal finalized. And part of that media de deal being able to be finalized is, I think, trying to acquire both of these schools. So. My guess is in the next two or three months, we're going to see an announcement that San Diego State and SMU are added to the conference. That would be my guess. I, I'm not reporting that. Just that's just sort of where the tea leaves seem to be headed. I think I just would have to. I mean, they, they absolutely need a media deal. And the longer they wait, the more less inclined, I would say, Amazon is to give them these types of deals. I guess they yeah. need to make these appearances public so that they can show, hey, Amazon, hey, ESPN, hey, whatever. Uh, we're we're trying, man. We're we're getting out here. I'm. We're talking cheddar. We're talking cheese with the big guys, the athletic directors. I'm George Klyakov. We can do it. We can build the Pac-12. The longer will they wait? I I don't know. I, I I worry about it because it did not take long for the Big 12 to to get a TV deal from ESPN, and that was Sans Oklahoma and Texas. Like they got it months ago, and they got a pretty good penny. Not as much as what the Big Ten and SEC got, but. Again, they're a, a division below those, and as is the Pac-12 now without USC and UCLA. So I don't know. I don't like it. Um, well, I, I kind of do like it because I like I mean, chaos. We don't, I, we, don't, I don't, we don't like it in terms of like I don't like either of these schools, but it's a necessary evil for the Pac-12. There's, no, oh, there's no alternative. So I, I don't like even the think fact it's being proactive. I like the fact that they're making moves, but like, do I think the moves ultimately are like going to be awesome and you're going to feel really great about having a 12-team conference that has SMU and San Diego State. I think the answer no, for almost everybody no, is no. Of course not. No, no. I just, I just worry that Klyovkov has probably talked a large game and has maybe bit off more than he could chew after seeing uh, some of the recent departures and some of the lack of, um, I would say, general interest from from Amazon and ESPN. Because if there was a lot of interest, I feel like a deal would be done by now. Because all the other conferences, when they had all their expansion and their realignment, um, there were plenty of interest from other cable and TV providers. Um, there, see, unless they are, uh, unless the reports that are coming out from the likes of Stuart Mandel and people at the Athletic and other other pla or other places across the country, the interest doesn't seem to be as high. And I'm not sure this SMU and the San Diego State. I'm not sure that really pushes them over the edge either. So. So that's my conference realignment topic. What do we think about Fresno State? Like, throw them is all. A big in. Step, Get is it people. a big step down though? Like, I guess that maybe the uh, who else are you going to question mark? Normal question mark questions. Uh, but like, I guess to piggy off that question, just like this was all inventory, like you guys have said, like. What's the end number here? Should it be just to get back to 12? Like Jared said, the league can't be at 10 in 2024, or they can't be at 10 for very long. They need they need to expand. So, like, 
if they're going to expand, what's the end number? Is it to get back to 12? Is it to go to 14? Is, is it 16? Because the more teams you add, the, the less money each team's going to get. And if I'm Oregon, if if I'm Washington, uh, if I'm ASU, um, I'm kind of like, I don't want to share my money straight up equally with SMU, Fresno State, and San Diego State. I wouldn't even want to share my money equally with Oregon State and Washington State and Colorado. Which was the reason USC left. Um, yes. legit, that's legitimately why it happened. Um, no, and, and, and I mean, I think, no, you, you add, you get to 12 if you can, you get to 14 if you can, but you only, you're very selective here. I mean, you're, there's no reason to bring in markets that don't provide you anything because you're talking about the slice of the pie. And ultimately, that's what matters is the final number is the final number, but you have to think about it from a member school perspective. Like, what's the cut that each school gets? And if you're Oregon, does it benefit you for the conference to add these two schools? Like, I think these, and again, this is so silly that we're looking at it like this way. And we're not the most, we're not the right people to be like, there's, there are experts who know television deals and contracts and financials a lot better than three sports reporters covering a team in Eugene. But like the metric here that you have to look at is how much does SMU provide? How much does San Diego state provide? Okay. Those are the numbers. They give you X number of dollars. Okay. You cut that into 12. Is that number more than what it is at the current state of 10 or whatever the offer would be? Okay. Hypothetically, you can add uh, these two more schools, Fresno states being one of them. Uh, let's say, I don't know, BYU. I know they're going to the big 12, but let's just say for this hypothetical, they have a tie to Utah. Let's just say they're in the, the mix or Utah state, whatever it is. I don't know. I don't think that's a good name either, but, what cut does that get you? Does that cut get, does that bring the average up? If it doesn't bring the average up and it diminishes it, that's a losing proposition. I know there's the, the bigger game to look at, and you can think about, man, maybe these programs will build and it'll expand the region and everything. But like at the end of the day, that's not, I don't think, how you're looking at it. You're looking at it from a survival perspective. So you're really looking at teams that can help you now. And I don't think adding Fresno State, and I don't think adding really too many other schools that are gettable help. So if SMU and if San Diego State bring you big enough TV markets where it increases the final number from an average perspective, then yeah, I think you jump in with those. But if it if it's hurting you, then yeah, there's no reason to to do so. Well, the Pac-12 is caught in between a rock and a hard place because I don't think Southern Methodist and S San Diego State do anything for the conference either. They're still, uh, you know, a, a, if they were net negative from a but if they were net negative from a financial perspective, they wouldn't. They be, are. They wouldn't be considered. No, but you think they're going to hit, hurt the average number? They have to. You're using. You're losing USC and UCLA. Well, not net average. I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the net average that is being proposed with the current ten teams constructed. No, because if it doesn't you add, matter what the old you, schools are. This is no, all no, math. I agree, but if you add any school, it'll up it because you're adding more markets. I'm talking so about the, deals the, the averages, though. The average I per agree. school. Right. 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 No, no, I understand what you're saying. I just let me think for a second. Yeah, if you add SMU and and San Diego State, they'll up the average. But just yeah. because you're going from ten to twelve schools, you're going to get a bigger deal. So well, I, not I, I just think, if if if, if there so if the number goes from hypothetically three hundred, I know I'm, getting, I'm just trying to make make it clear what I'm trying to get at is if the number is three fifty. And you add, and for, amongst whatever the numbers, I'm not sure what the number is, but let's say it's 350 over 10 schools. That's 30. That's mm -hmm. 35 million per year. If you were to add SMU and San Diego State, and then it only gets you to 400, well, now you're talking about taking a cut per school. So it only right. makes more sense if they're more valuable than that, and they get you to 450 over 12 schools, where then you're looking at a a 10 million dollar per school increase or whatever it is, eight million dollars. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. They're just in a rock and a hard place because there are only so many schools that are in so many big markets that don't, I would say, necessarily provide anything on the field. Like you look at Southern Methodist and you look at SDSU, those are two quality programs, but they're still not a power five level football program or, uh, at all, really. And if you go from there, let's say they wanted to hypothetically add some more teams, unless you're going after other power five programs, there aren't a lot of really great teams. I guess there's Fresno State, but that's not that big of a market. I guess there's other schools that you can go yeah. after, but they're all Mountain West teams. They're all in uh, lesser markets. Uh, you're losing the, to the two biggest markets maybe in the country in USC and UCLA. So I think whatever the Pac-12 schools get right now is probably going to be a very similar number to what they get with their new TV deal because the – it's going to be a net loss in my opinion, just because no matter who you add, you could add eight more teams to the conference and the number, the total number will be much bigger, but
But like you were saying, Eric, the total payout per team divided by 10, 12, 14, 16 is going to be lower just because of who you're losing. And that's the unfortunate part. And that's why the Pac-12 is really stuck here because it does not matter who they add. There's just not going to be uh, the same uh, the same number that they're getting right now, I fear. And unless you split it to the point where you begin to look at TV markets and then split the average annual distribution by TV markets or performance, or I don't know how they would do it. Yeah. Then Oregon would get a bigger chunk of the a, a chunk of change here, but all the other schools aren't going to put up with that. They're, they're just not, they're going to want equality. They're going to want all the same slice of the pie. And I get that is why they should, but yeah, there are schools that probably don't deserve it. Uh, they're just bigger schools than other schools and better schools on the fields. I just don't, it's just not going to work. I, I am very, as I'm sure everybody who is listening and watching could tell, I am very pessimistic about where this is headed. Well, and again, I, I know we don't want to go too long here, but I, I have additional thoughts of, of also like if you're Oregon and, and could this be part of a hypothetical holdup? If you say we need to be making this number of dollars, you guys figure it out. And the rest of the conference says no. The reaction, you. <laughs> the, the reaction from the but 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 Oregon has some leverage. Oh yeah, if, of course. If Oregon and Washington weren't in the league, you would leave behind the other schools, and then the next media deal with whatever conference that would be would also be smaller. So there is a level of hardball a school like Oregon and Washington can play if they want to throw their weight around. I don't know how they want to do it. Of course. But yeah. to but to but to say hey, if you guys can say that, cool. We're gonna we're gonna find another option. And now you guys are going to be left with a smaller percentage of an equal pie for a conference that doesn't have as much of a which is what they deal. should do. Which is what they should do. I'm not saying I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to agree. So, but like this is the situation. This, these are the hard obstacles that Klyavkov is dealing with. The right of he's got some of the schools who, who probably have routes to better conferences and have some leverage, and then he has the smaller schools that he has to try to deal with too because he has to keep it all together. Meanwhile, the Big Twelve is trying to pull schools. The Big Ten has already pulled schools. I don't think they're doing anything right now, but like it's a messy situation with a lot of moving parts. They are, yeah, they are. They are this. Or uh, excuse me, the Pac-12 or the Scavengers, man. They're looking for anything right now, and that is not the position you want to be. And we should all write a nice handwritten, handwritten letter to our dear friend Larry Scott for putting Oregon and putting the Pac-12 in this position with their dumbass Pac-12 network idea oh, has God. ruined the conference, even though Larry, their production value yeah. is very nice. Larry Scott. Not good. Not good. It's going to be an Thank interesting you. time to see where the league goes. Uh, real quick, I know Jared's got to go. Yes or no? Do we have expansion by like an agreement in place? Not necessarily they've officially joined, but like Hey, they're yeah. coming in year whatever. Do we see that by the start of football season in 2023? Yes. By the so September? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I say I say yes too. Unanimous. All three of us think it. Interesting. Yeah. I don't think give you a... I, I don't even think they can know. I mean, they can't finalize negotiating this media deal, I don't think, without expansion. Yeah. Or some kind. It's no my, it's no, one, no one's gonna take them up on the offer. Don't well, and Oregon, Oregon might also figure, or Pacto might also figure, we can get a better offer. Get with out of conditions. here. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for watching on the live stream, asking your questions there as well. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with another mailbag edition of the podcast. And until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.